What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Actors with Issues. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today, we are joined by South African-born, New York-based performer, Pierre Murray, who you may have seen in the Broadway production and national tour of Disney's Aladdin, as well as the feature film Black Beauty on Disney+. Plus. Pierre, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Good, good. Um, so with everything uh, that has gone on in the last year, uh, especially regarding Broadway and the entertainment industry, um, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, it's, uh, I've been talking to a few of my friends about this and it's been a flow. You know, there are days that it felt okay. It felt like I have a handle on uh, the change and the paradigm shift that happened, you know, overnight. And there are days where that's sort of not the case at all, you know, because mm-hmm. I think the, what's difficult to not admit at some level every day is that the thing I love most in the world and the thing that I moved my life across the world for doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. And so um, there are days in which I feel like I'm wearing that on my, you know, on my sleeve and other days where I feel uh, like adapting um, is going well. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how you felt in it, um, but it's, it's a, it's a strange shift mentally. I felt um, that we never really had a moment where we knew, right? So, you know, March, what, March 10th or 11th or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, you do two, you do a two show day and then you don't come back the next day and they say, all right, like go home for a couple of weeks. And we, it was been incremental the entire time. It's sort of now we have this vague idea of like the fall, right? But really that's only pretty recently that we've, we've gotten that assumption. And we never had a moment of true mourning when we like woke up and we're like, oh, uh, it's gone for 18 months and yeah. good luck. You know, it, it was the, yeah. the incremental part of it really, I think has been tricky. Yeah. And, um, you know, as if, this industry isn't already filled with uncertainty and and all of that the added layer of we don't know when we're getting back to work um um i remember i was working on a tv series in march the day that the broadway shutdown happened and we were like we just weren't sure because it was that the same day as by the like we'd even finish working that day they had said hey guys producers just called that's that's a wrap we're shutting down effective immediately and yeah. yeah, it just kept getting pushed and pushed. It's it was what after a week they said May and then June and then foreseeable future and then all of these other all these other just passages of time kept passing and passing and 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 yeah, with the like you said, the vagueness of, of the fall of, of this year, but even then, I mean they just announced that there's now a shortage of vaccines in New York. So now we don't really know what's happening with that. And right, right. gosh, yeah it's a lot. And, um, how did you, did you stay in New York during the, during the closures? Um, so what happened was actually, so I went home to South Africa because in my brain, I thought, Oh, I didn't take a two week break and, or, you know, maybe a three week break, maybe a month. I was even trying to be realistic at the time. And then I mm-hmm. got stuck in South Africa for man, three and a half months almost just because no one was flying anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had the legal ability to come and go because I, I can do that within the States and in South Africa, but no planes were being sent to most parts of Africa. And so until repatriation flights started coming in myself and like, honestly, a bunch of American citizens were stuck, uh, yeah. couldn't go anywhere. And it, honestly, it wasn't the worst place in the world to be. You know, I was very fortunate to be home with my family, with 
tons of you know support but it's um i was stuck here for a second until the summer um in which once planes started coming back around and like the prices of the flights were at least somewhat reasonable i got on a plane and got back to the states um yeah yeah that was sort of what happened to me and that was i was so i was very always aware you know right that oh i'm in a pandemic because now i'm spending more time at home uh, than i have since i left a decade ago you know yeah. like trying to reconcile my i think a lot of people have gone through this moment where in a lot of people have ventured home for long periods of time yeah. in this um last year or so and trying to realize like oh i'm not my teenage self i'm trying to <laughs> uh, and and my parents don't know you know who they adult me is either and that uh, navigation has been i mean fun but definitely like interesting to observe yeah it was um somewhat similar for me i, I only lived in new york for less than a year by the time gotcha. covid uh rolled around like nine months at that point and then you know went to visit my family for what I thought was going to be like oh, a couple of weeks because uh, I was working at a gym at the time and gyms had shut yeah. down very like right after the Broadway shut down and everything else. Um, and that turned into mid-March until mid-July. Yeah. <laughs> it's like four or five months in it, you know, and I, in my head, I was like, I thought I moved out of here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thankfully right. home was an hour and a half away. It was in Connecticut. So just one state oh, over. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was still, you know, very up in the air and, and not knowing what exactly was going on. Even when I did come back in, in July, it was mm -hmm. still like, okay, gyms haven't announced their opening up. At least unemployment was helping keep the lights on mm -hmm. and all that, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, and even now I worked on my first set for the first time in over a year. And it was very strange being back on a set. Everyone, you know, just all of you have to get. COVID tested three times before you even have a fitting and, and all of that stuff. It was very strange. Right. Uh, right. During the pandemic, uh, you know, lots of people sort of picked up new hobbies and acquired new skills and all of that stuff. Um, and others took the time to self-reflect. And, and what is it that, you know, did you sort of go through anything like that? Yeah. Look, in a way, so I've been, um, I've been doing, I've been shooting dances as a videographer in New York City for quite some time pre-pandemic, but it was sort of something that I was juggling with my my show, you know, sort of doing Aladdin at night and and then filming in the day and things that I sort of did in between. And it just came as a passion out of, you know, uh, my friends in the community who, who I love as dancers and just creating work that I felt like was missing as a big LA scene in terms of videography and dancing that hadn't really existed uh, in New York. And so I just was doing that. And what in turn sort of happened is that the lights shut off on Broadway and, you mm -hmm. know, there's a bunch of artists sitting in New York city being like, what the hell are we going to do? And so it seemed, especially in the summer, and I mean, it, it, it continued through to now that um, the way to create was, you know, virtual and mm. to film and to be, you can be distant in that way and, and still create art. And so um, what had happened is that sort of supercharged my, uh, my videography, my like sort of film work um, that had existed in a way, uh, mostly out of love and um, just passion for like what I do. And then became a, a big focus specifically because of my, connection to the Broadway community and to people, the people that's like steps on Broadway and, and BDC and all the teachers and choreographers 
it just everyone started turning to honestly uh, there's like three of us in the city mm-hmm. you know that are, are really had been doing it a lot pre-pandemic and a lot of a lot of work came and i was very grateful for it i was grateful for it creatively um and then just uh financially honestly too because uh not being when i was stuck in uh, south africa uh i got no i was not allowed to claim any unemployment because uh, mm. the rules of you having to be in the country um it was, it was kind of frustrating at the time i felt like unemployment could have figured that out for people who were stuck um but so it was a good you know did good two-handed thing um creatively i felt like i could connect with people who i would be working with anyway and then also just yeah bye yeah um that's something that definitely has been um you know with everything going on and only being 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 able to do um performances virtually whether over zoom or or anything else it's it's been um increasingly popular especially for theater companies there have been a lot of um you know like online readings and just in some cases sort of like full-on productions done in with green screen yeah. and all that stuff what do you what do you make of them how do you feel about them depends which one we're talking about uh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> some of them have been really cool um yeah and there was one i think it was with mcc i don't remember um but they did a couple really cool readings of like shorter two-person things they would just have like two cameras in the same room usually like with um actor couples who are rather known in the community so they would be able to do everything sort of safely and and within their own home Um, and those are really cool to see the ones that were sort of catered to the circumstances Um, and then some of the green screen ones perhaps were not the greatest Um, (laughs) yeah yeah. but you know we're all working with what we can Um, I know lots of people who still manage to do like short films and whatnot during the pandemic and um you know, we've seen a lot of content. I mean, network television, they were doing shows about people in the pandemic and, um, you know, took a little bit away from the escapist part of watching television. It's like, oh, we're watching people in, yeah. who are on the Zoom call. That's that's right. exactly what I want to watch. On <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Um, so I want to go back a little bit and yeah. uh, talk about how you got started um, in the industry. You mentioned mm-hmm. um in the little questionnaire that i sent over that your parents worked in the circus yeah yeah totally um my so my folks uh my my father's a south african he was born and raised here my mother's uh, from belgium she's french a uh, woman mm-hmm. from belgium so that's sort of where my name comes from um and they were trapeze artists in the circus they worked in ringling brothers barnum Bandy circus like sort mm-hmm. of pre-cirque du soleil's you know rise or uh when they took over, the, the big thing was, you know, Barnum's Circus. And yep. uh, they were flying trapeze artists for that. And uh, they, that always sort of inspired me. They, they had me and were trying to transition out of a circus life to have a kid. Yeah. You know, that was their plan. Um, but so I have very, uh, I have vague memories of my mother performing. I like watching her. I, I almost have none of my dad. I've watched so many tapes that I'm not sure where my memory of the tape begins and my memory of the actual performance you know starts um but just knowing that they were uh and being surrounded by those kinds of people and uh, being running around a circus school as a kid and really like you know it it thrilled me 
um, like as a young boy at the time, just to be so physical and to be running and jumping on this big playground, you know, sure. and then knowing that watching my mom up on the stage and thinking, oh, that's so, that's so cool. And yeah, that I think was just honestly so in, it was quite literally in my blood, you know, like mm. to born in the circus, my dad ended up uh, transitioning out of the circus and becoming a stuntman. And then he became a stunt coordinator for mm. films, uh, sort of shot throughout Africa and specifically South Africa. So that again, continued, even as I grew up, continued to uh, keep my connection to the industry in a way. And that's sort mm. of maybe why even myself, I pivoted away from classic circus, uh, you know, work. And I, that I loved it. I never really wanted to pursue it as a career like my folks, but um, yeah, they, getting involved in films and, and stuff sort of tangentially through my father um, and then being a performer and all those things just sort of kept me so hungry to keep doing it. And I felt like the place that I could do that without a ceiling, I think the industry in my own country and a lot of like developing countries or just um, countries outside of, you know, the, the major players, um, the industry is, the standards are very high. Like the world is mm. very connected in terms of how good the work can be, but the ceiling on the amount of work that exists is much lower than mm. the ceiling, say, if you go to, you know, the UK or, uh, you know, if you go to India or if you go to America. And for me, America was the one that really appealed to me to in terms of what felt like a uh, much higher ceiling and so mm. that like that inspiration as a kid and wanting to be part of that and then wanting to do it at the most legitimate level possible sort of just pulled me to new york when i was man when i was 18 yeah just rolled up okay. <laughs> and <laughs> you eventually went to new york film academy but how old were you when you sort of i, I know you were sort of not necessarily thrown or thrust, but you know, you entered the industry so young because of your parents. So yeah. around what age did you think like, oh, I want to do this like as Yeah. Know? I I'd say I had I had one really major experience with an actor uh, on a film called The Wake of Death with an actor by the name of Jean-Claude Van Damme when mm-hmm. I was like 13. Heard of him? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was, you know, I had this very fortunate experience where I was supposed to be doing stunts as a young kid on that film. Mm-hmm. And I, I met him. So he's from Belgium. And I met him in a training facility. And we started talking a little bit. And, you know, obviously, I'm a Belgian kid. My name's Pierre. He's a French actor. He's from Belgium. And we, I think we spoke a bit of French together. And I just sort of left. And he ended up picking up the phone and calling production. And they were just about to start shooting the next week. And he was like, you have got to fire the kid who you cost as my son and hire this kid because <laughs> where else are we going to find a Belgian who I can connect with this way? And obviously he, you know, that was a classic Van Damme, like revenge tale, you know, it was not it, but he, <laughs> yeah. so he had weight to throw around in that situation. Yeah. And so he ended up getting me my like, first major acting gig. And I, I knew wow. at that time at like 13, um, you know, when you're, you're, I knew that it wasn't nothing, you know, it, it, I was aware of what was happening. And then mm. a sort of similar situation happened in a film called The Scorpion King. Uh, they, they shot the, the sequel to that in South Africa. And I was fortunate enough to play uh, Dwayne Johnson's character as a kid. So mm. sort of um, the young Scorpion King in that. And that was, I was a bit older than I was like 16. And I was very aware of what was, what it was. And that, that was, I think, the kicker for me. Like once I was on that film uh, playing that role and, knowing I, and and feeling 
like I had an understanding of what that opportunity was and that I want to continue that kind of opportunity. That's when I, that's when I knew I was, I'd say 16, um, when I was certain, uh, but I was certainly enthralled by like a young teenager. Yeah. Jeez. What cool experiences you had at such a young age. Gosh, it's such an impressionable, impressionable like time in, in very totally. formidable years. You know, that's, I can see, I mean, why you wanted to just sort of like, I want to do this every day, all the time, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah. And how did that eventually lead you to Broadway? Did you grow up singing as well? Or was that something that you sort of found a little bit later with music? Yeah, no, I, so I, I was a, a jazz pianist as a kid. This was something I liked doing and I was singing mm -hmm. and playing piano. And um, what I, it's sort of twofold. I, I thought to connect to New York, I wanted to just go to a program for something at some point, just to have some kind of, and a short program. That's why I went to the New York Film Academy. I just appealed to what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I went, I went to New York Film Academy. I'm really like trying to put this into, into words for myself because I haven't really spoken about this in a way mm -hmm. where I'm like trying to connect uh, that journey and like how I came from loving film and then going into Broadway. But I think that it's because I, because I don't want to underplay the fact that I love musical theater. Um, but there was a necessity legally at the time to go with the work that was available. And I don't know how much you know about, you know, uh, sort of visas and, and what you can and can't do, but it's pretty, it's a uh, pretty From hard what I, I've had a, yeah, I've, I've had a few guests on the show in the past talk about like the O1 visa and, and, and things mm -hmm. like that and how difficult it can be. And there's a lot you can't do. Like you basically can't do any work outside of the industry. Is that correct? Pretty much. You can't do any work outside of the industry. And then even so, some of the most legitimate work within the industry is not available to you either. So SAG will let you join, but most major uh, producers and production houses like Universal, ABC, NBC, Fox, yeah. Netflix, for the most part, they don't work with you unless you have a green card. Um, Actors Equity won't even let you join on an O visa. Uh, so... It's, uh, there's certain exceptions that have, can be made and, and, and have been made and was made for me in a, for a few moments. Um, but for pretty much it's like a, quite a, a strong rule and, and, and a deterrent for, for foreign performers. And so what I knew is that the most legitimate work that, was, that existed for me at a non-union level when I entered the United States was work in theater. And I sang and I, I loved it too. Um, but I was specifically in New York being inspired by you know, the theater district and, and the work that happens. So it's so difficult to live in and exist in New York City and not be inspired or enthralled by, by Broadway. And so that's sort of what happened is I, I took all this like film experience in this time and, and, thought, and thought, okay, well, I really want to stay because I, you know, I, I love it. I love it all. And I, I want to work in the most legitimate level that is available to me right now. And when I began my work in the United States before my green card, that work was in theater. And mm. it grew from there into, you know, into having a career and going on tours and then, and then eventually landing up on Broadway and, and a show that I was, was right for. And I just think, yeah, it's funny. It's like, you asked me that question and it like fried my brain for a second. I was like, why <laughs> did you do that? You know, because I really, I love film, man. It's like a first love for me. And I, I come back to that thought a lot as, a, as an actor. Um, but I think the two things I think about that is that in the 21st century, we don't really have to decide. Um, right. I think 
the one dimensionality of, of actors just doesn't exist as much anymore. Where casting directors aren't as single-minded as they used to be about mm. like, well, if you're this kind of actor, that's all you can do. Right. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, we are all trying to get the best work that's coming for us. And so if there's no opportunity at that time in film and TV, there was no opportunity at that time. And so, you know, it's, I try not yeah. to overthink it um, because you can end up positioning yourself in a way where you can miss what's good for you. Yeah. If I think if you, yeah, if you're not open to, to the things that are coming uh, because you're so, because <laughs> I, I was saying this to a friend of, my, of mine the other day, like, I love 16-year-old Pierre and the dreams he had, but he also didn't know shit about anything, <laughs> you know? And I feel like some people <laughs> hold themselves accountable to the 16-year-old yeah. version that, like, your brain is not even fully yeah. matured yet into, the, right. into understanding yourself emotionally, understanding where you're at in life, what's truly important to you. And we hold ourselves to success or failure based off of something we thought when we were 16 years old. And I think that there could, that couldn't be... Um, you know, more problematic to like not allow that to shift and grow. And so those two things play still. It's like 16 year old Pierre is like, but you want to do more movies. And, you know, 28 year old Pierre is like, yeah, but look, look what came and look, you know, what yeah. else could you have done? And so right. there's no, there's no point in looking at that in like a measure of success or failure. It's just, it's just what happened, what was available, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that quite a bit with um, a lot of young actors, you know, like um, these really big popular like Facebook groups that are like filled with like thousands of, of actors and people trying to get into the industry and, and like on Reddit. I'm, I'm very active in the Reddit um, acting community and lots oh. of young actors will say like, I really want to act, but I don't want to do theater. Uh, should I go? I'm like, why? What Like th this industry already like pigeonholes us already if you just say like typecasting you're that's already like you know you're getting put into a box so why eliminate an entire sector of the industry where you right. could be an, an, an entire success like um you know and, and things do change and, and like you said like you try not to um hold 16 peers uh <laughs> dreams and his wants and desires to what you want to do today uh, yeah. you know, I grew up wanting to be Broadway star and I just ended up doing way more television and haven't even gone out for a theater since, since moving to New York. And it's just, that's just right. how things worked out. And, and, but, and I never, um, you know, I never, not neglected, I'm trying to think of the right word, but you know, I just, I never, I was ever bitter about it because it's like, you know, I'm not a trained dancer. So there's a whole ton of, of, of theater. That's just not going to be that I'm not going to be going up for. And, um, yeah, you know, just all these different little factors that, that people, um, forget will sort of possibly pigeonhole you into a box already. So it's like, why mm. do so even further and ignore parts of the industry where you could find, um, a lot of success. You know, like totally. Yeah. yeah, there's this there's this thing uh, that someone told me a, a while ago, like how like if you take New York, like it's so much of a numbers game being an actor. And like if you take New York with like, say there's 30 Broadway shows and there are like what, 20 people in each cost, like as in like a vague example, yeah. then that's like 600 people who are on Broadway. 
And now you can like, now to like fit yourself into that, like at once there's 600 people, you cut it in half, say vaguely for what uh, gender you uh, present and would like to be represented as, then that's 300 people. Then you can cut it again. If you're under 25, you can probably cut another 200 off. Mm -hmm. And then are you a dancer? No, you can cut another 80 off. <laughs> then it's how tall, then how tall are you? If you're right. not above six foot, then you can cut another like 10 off. And then what's your voice type? Are you 10 or you're a baritone? Keep cutting, keep cutting. And then all of a sudden you realize like the roles that are actually, and then, and then when the role, if there are two or three roles that actually exist for you, that you're right for, firstly, they need to be cost looking and you need to be around. And then when you're around, you have to put together a good enough audition that they, that they like it. And so yeah. that numbers game for me, like when I hear an actor be like, I don't want to do theater, that same numbers game exists in film and TV. Mm -hmm. it's like, why wouldn't you, if you know, if you know the reality that, that those numbers exist that way, why wouldn't you want to play them? First of all, because like theater acting is beautiful and lovely and can teach you so much about, uh, you know, being an actor, just like film can teach a theater actor, the vice versa, the same thing. Why wouldn't you want to play better numbers for yourself? You right. know, what I, it would never make sense to me. One of my favorite actors of like most recent years in the last like five, 10 years has come across is, is Eddie Redmayne. And I really love the work that he's done like across the board and he's a theater actor, you know? And like, you yeah. take it back. One of my favorite actors was Brando and Brando is a theater actor. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, I think, yeah, outcome, like sure, of course. We, I think some, so many modern 21st century actors want a lead on a long running series to grow yeah. and develop, of course, but man, like that dream is beautiful, but to, to take away some of the other kind of work in theater, I think is, is short-sighted. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have there been any sort of experiences that you've gone, that you've, ex has there been anything you've experienced uh, in a show or on a set um, that has sort of maybe changed your perspective a little bit or like something you learned um, in a show or on a set? Yeah. I mean, I think like so many things like in the, in that world, in the world of performing, like I think if you're paying attention, you can, you can tell. I, something that's been on my mind recently and like how, like, what is the, what is the temperature of the water in a company mm. and like whose responsibility that is. And um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I've, I've done shows with like with lead actors who've been uh, miserable and how that has affected an entire, an entire company and the entire quality of the show and been with lead actors who are, and it's like the difference between like um, the difference between like there's misery and then the, the lead actors who don't aren't overly happy, you know, aren't trying forcibly right. to be everyone's best friend, like show up to work and love the work and are good at the work are like um, how much that affects the quality of, of mm. every day and then ends up affecting, affecting the outcome of 
of what it is we do. And I think, I, I think the thing that, 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 why that comes up to me is because it really is so, there's so much community in what we do. There's so much community in so many different aspects. And like, in, do you need uh, like a hand? Do you need help? You know, do, there's so, so much of what is good about our world existing community and that the work environments that we exist in are community in that way too. And like knowing how to exist within that little microcosm yeah. in a way that benefits it, I think is like important at every level, you know, like knowing, like knowing that it's, I think being a, a solo ranger and, and just doing your thing and being mm. in your own bubble, there's something sort of been overly romanticized about a suffering, like tortured artist. And yeah. I, you know, I can see why that's cool to like in theory, but how much it's affected the work, the outcome and the daily ins and outs when, when people aren't that way, when people realize that, you know, what we're doing is, is so community-based. It's literally for people, right? It's, it's not, it's not for individuals, you know, that, that feedback loop between you and someone else. And then the audience, it's like the, I think the awareness that what we do is, is uh is community in such a big way you know it's mm. it's literally take it from african roots take it from like grecian roots whichever you like the reason people got up to do the what we do was to uh, inspire a community and to yeah. make a community laugh and to make a community cry and um and so when i think of it like purely like that i really remind myself I, to keep that like in my mind to 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 not be like selfish you mm. know in, in the ways that can be so easy to be in what we do i think to to continue to to, to remember that that it's about everyone that it's about all of us yeah. even in this time even in this time you know it's really you, you see it online and you you know you hear when people talk about it and you oh well broadway's dead like shame like poor uh, poor Broadway people. And then like, there's a bunch of, you know, everyone, all the other unions, the stage uh, hand unions, the wardrobe, the, and going like, what the hell? Like we're out of work too. And then there are non-union actors who are like, what the hell? We're not on Broadway, but like this, we're just as legitimate in what we yeah. do. And, you know, um, it, it's come up to like, the, the, the community feels like exclusionary in ways. And yeah. to like, remember that that is like so not what it is you know it's mm. just so not where it's based for me for me anyway um so yeah it's, it's say and i specifically learned that you know in the last few years just watching actors behave that way uh and seeing how it affected everything yeah yeah it's a bit long it's a long ramble but that's sort of like where my brain's at about it today. <laughs> it's a podcast it's all a long ramble that's all we do yeah, you're right you're right you're right you're right you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree, you know, um, how a, whether you're a lead actor or even a supporting actor, or just the day player on a project, um, mm. how you treat the energy, you know, it's, it's a law of attraction, the energy that you put out into the world is going to come right back at you. So, um, definitely keeping in mind how one's energy one's attitude one's demeanor can affect the entire room um mm. 
you know, we often hear stories of of actors having like a meltdown on a set or something, but it's like we have no idea what requests were made behind the scenes and were not made. Um, there's a story. There's a um, I don't know if you're a fan of the show The Office. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the actress who plays Pam, she wrote a book called The Actor's Life, um, a survival guide. And she talked about how she overheard someone on a set once talking about how like Eddie Murphy had like a meltdown on set or something. Um, but it was because it was supposed to be like a, a, a slightly darker, serious scene. And he was asked for some space and wasn't getting it. So when it came time to work and he couldn't give the performance he wanted to, he got very upset and very frustrated. Um, and, you know, I feel like I've, I've witnessed that before and it's understandable sometimes how the environment one is in is going to affect their work, but also vice versa, how mm. the environment that you're setting up for everyone is going to affect, um, like you said, the outcome, the, the final outcome, whether it's a stage production, someone was being a diva or someone was a nightmare to work with, it shows, it's going to show. There's very little way to hide that. Um, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people maybe have had to sort of come to terms with and, and really had to reflect on how, like, gosh, how did I behave before all of this? How am I going to take that lesson I've learned into account forward into the other work that I do? Because it's, it can really make or break an experience for a lot of people and, and affect everybody, like you said. Totally. And I feel like there's, you know, there's that school of thought that exists in most uh, industries where you get you get to a certain point where it becomes like it be, you become the cool kid to be like oh like ah, fuck this show or you know like yeah. be a little like ah i don't want to do it and of course you know we have everyone flows in and out of some sense of complacency but um i've never really wanted to subscribe to subscribe to that you know yeah. i it's 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 so easy to because that culture can feel cool but it's not something that i that that appeals to me and especially now like especially knowing like it's taken from us you know it's Mm -hmm. and i can't like i can't wait for the collective i can't what i can't wait about coming back from this is the collective shift like the every show that happens like in new york and outside that like that the lights go back on for like what that was going to do to a community who've been like robbed of so much. Yeah. And then the people experiencing that with them, like, I don't, I, I even don't even think that much about like, what's it going to feel like for me to like bow on the stage? Like, yeah, whatever. Like what about <laughs> what it's going to do to like all of us? Because yeah. we've, you know, um, we've all been affected, you know, I like yeah. in, in ways and, and made some people major, some people less, but like, that is, if it's not, if it wasn't clear before, like now it's even more clear to me that it's, yeah, man, that like when it's coming back, like it's coming back for all of us. And so then when we continue to create work to remember that, even though the process can be individualized and selfish in ways that are, can produce beautiful work, like it's yeah. not about just us as an individual. And yeah, and like, just like I'm really even thinking about like keeping that in mind when we come back is like, it's, it's about the community of it all. Yeah, it's about the collaboration and how mm. we haven't been able to do that for such a long time now. Um, you know, like I haven't done theater in a couple of years just because I've been focusing a little bit more on the on-camera side of things. And it's like mm-hmm. still making me miss theater even more. It's like, geez, when it comes back, I want to be in it. I want to be there and, yeah. you know, back in the trenches. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> go to every early totally. morning call. 
Yeah. No, it's like, are those even going to exist anymore? Are we going to have 60 dancers crammed in the studio these days? Like, there's an argument to be made how that should never have been happening anymore anyway. Like, no one should ever have been in the 21st century, like, walking up to a building at 3 a.m. to sign up for anything. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we were should have been so far beyond that so long ago. It's ridiculous. I'm kind of glad that the pandemic might have pushed us away from, like, people's lives being wasted Mm. on the streets of New York. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but we'll see about about a 60-person dance call. I think that might take a minute, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, New York especially and in L.A., both major markets, they've both been very, very adamant about like in-person auditions. We want to give a note. We want to give a redirect and get a second take. Mm-hmm. We want to meet the actor. Well, now we don't have a choice. Everything looks like this. Everyone's got their ring light and yeah. it's going to have their backdrop and sending in tapes. And that's what it's going to look like for a while because you know, the Manhattan casting offices for TV are tiny and there's no way to physically distance your intern who's your reader and the casting director and the actor. And you have dozens of people coming in and out. You don't know who was vaccinated. You don't know who's sick. You're going to do a rapid test for every person that comes into audition. Like no way. Like Uh even that side of the industry is going to change. Like the, all the behind the scenes stuff for the pre-production and all of that. I know. And what I'm sort of hoping for myself is like, and people have been speaking about it, like after, you know, the last sort of major plague like this on humanity, there was this huge renaissance of art and return to return to creation and being together and stuff. And I, I think, I think there's going to be a huge yearning for that from just human beings in general. Um, But I think specifically from our community and I would love for the lights to go back on, on stuff like that, man, that like really once it's okay, once we're good, like, yeah, get me in a small New York City casting office with a couple of people in the room. Because, you know, um, I th- this is not a way to exist as, as happily as we can be. And I think mm-hmm. the patience is important uh, and so important. But, like, once we're out of it, I personally hope that there are certain things that come back that, like, like that, you know, because it'll just feel normal again. It'll feel in real life again you know fully like we're back not just like yeah okay this part's back but all of this is still different how it was before and triggered all of a sudden you know memories of (laughs) yeah right i really hope it's i really hope it's a triggering memory one day i really hope we go back to a stasis that is that is um of course certain things are going to linger but for the most part in our day-to-day lives that we don't notice that this happened and that when someone mentions like oh zoom you're like you know (laughs) <laughs> you like look over like you just glaze over for a second um yeah i that's sort of what i want i and as whatever the safest uh path to that is man that's what i think most of us kind of would love for that to be the case yeah Jeez. well whenever yeah. we get to that I, I can't wait until we do um <laughs> sadly until then we have to make do with what we've got <laughs> yeah I i'll you. keep doing self-tapes until they call us back into the room yeah so something that you um that you mentioned or that you listed in the um in the questions that i sent out was talking about we touched on it before about immigrant performers and sort of the, mm-hmm. the added level of complexity and struggle that comes with that um so is there anything else that you wanted to sort of um touch on with that you know i not not a ton i mean like look I, the thing about it is that it's tricky for immigrants in uh, any country ever. Like it's, it's a tricky time in the world 
to want to be somewhere else than you were born. And mm. I like it. I'm a, I'm a, so I'm a kid who's like raised in South Africa, but by a Belgian mother and spent some time in Europe and spent some, and now I've like lived in, in New York on and off for the past decade. I, I really identify culturally and like as a human, as like a globalized kid, I feel that the world itself is so much more connected than it's ever been. And we're globalizing like crazy. And that's why borders are, are, are tricky. Um, and so like, but we, but we belong places. Like we belong where we want to be because we, we can be there. And, and I think if, if there are any international people that ever like come across this and listen to it and, like my, my thing is that there is a pathway to getting where you want to be. I think that the the truth of it is is not is it's a very new insurgence of us trying to figure it out. You know, there, I'm not the only international kid in, in on Broadway. You know, there's there's, yeah. ton, there's tons of us, and there've been tons before me, and there will be tons after me. But I think there will be more coming forward, and just to know that the journey is different. It's it's so different. It looks and feels different than what it will feel like to your American counterparts, and right. and that's okay. And I think going into that with that knowing um, that hey, I might I might spend more money than I'd like to on a lawyer and on a visa, and I might spend more time doing work that keeps me in the country. And like knowing that that isn't failure. That is you're actually on the road to getting what you want. At the end of the day, right. I think. That, that was a huge thing I had to sort of unprogram was the feeling of failure because I had to do things because I was an immigrant. You know, I had to take certain work. I couldn't do this work because of my paperwork. And, and assimilating that with failure was something I couldn't help but do, but I really wished there was people in my life or someone in my life who could be like, no, I did, I did that too. Yeah, 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 no, I, mm. and I'm okay now, you know. And they, those people at at the time of me coming into the states weren't accessible to me, and I didn't have as many of those conversations as I would have loved to. And so, mm. that's the, like that's the truth is that, um, you know, not being from somewhere is 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 beautiful, um, but like to always be aware that your journey look look different. Like I have so much mm. love, I have so much love for the United States. Like I, I a lot of people are like, oh, you came to this country at a strange time. And my response to that is like, have you checked the rest of the world lately? Because it's <laughs> just, just, it's just as crazy or if right. not crazier. So we're not the only I, hummus in the world. <laughs> yeah, dude, like nowhere near. Like it's, of course, like there's, you know, been insanity, but it's everywhere. And, right. and that like, you know, there is a there is a like a great draw to what is available in the states and that it is possible but that it my thing to, to talk about in, in terms of being an immigrant is that like being okay with your journey looking and feeling different and not assimilating that with failure um because it isn't and mm -hmm. not assimilating going home with failure because it isn't you know um mm -hmm. it's just it's just a different journey uh yeah. you know yeah uh, so before we wrap up, we actually have um, a question submitted by a listener. Um, cool. So they asked, uh, is there a moment that the audience love or reacted to that surprised you? I've noticed this with huh. comedies. You'll be like, they laughed at that. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to think that was particularly surprising. 
Um, a couple come to mind. Like one is a funny one when I was playing Aladdin. Uh, so Aladdin has this like major quick change at the end of act one. He goes out of street rat into uh, Prince Ali. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, it's a super quick Disney magic quick change that happens yeah. behind the thing. And you come, it's like a five second full change into a big old you know, robe and cape and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, something like went wrong on the day. And so my previous costume was uh, still kind of hanging on me like it was cat like ghost you know like yeah. it was casper and um and the end the end of act one of aladdin just exists with aladdin um center stage on his own singing a reprise of radio boy and i'm there um my mom was in the audience actually it was like <laughs> one of the first times she'd ever see me play aladdin and the audience is dying laughing at me because it looks like i got this this diaper and um I know it's happening. I'm like, okay. And so I ended up like, I'm like, oh, I ended up picking it, picking it up, just ripping it. And I tossed it into the pit. And I just thought, I just thought the audience was going to be like, um, was just going to settle down and let me sing the freaking ballad for a right. second. Um, and when I threw it into the, uh, the pit, it like the audience, like lost their minds. They're like, and, and it was a really cool moment. Um, because I really didn't see it coming. And yeah. uh, that was actually a big lesson in like addressing what's really, ha- in, in terms of theater, addressing what's really happening can mm. be the most beautiful thing you can do. Uh, even if you feel like, oh my gosh, I just messed up the like cool quick change at the end of this act. And then mm. all I did was acknowledge the reality of the moment. And yeah. um, it was definitely a, a reminder of that lesson. Uh, and and so I, the other one that, that comes to mind is so I, I was on the uh, national tour of a course line for a while and um, and I was playing Paul and that monologue is so beautiful and so mm. textured and so layered and um, it an audience an audience's uh, response is not a good way to gauge the kind of performance you did. Mm. And I really learned that with that monologue. Uh, someone even in comedy, I have heard a director give this note. Casey Nicklaw gives this note. Mm-hmm. He was he says um, that's the wrong laugh. You can you you deliver a line, you do a bit, and it it blows the roof off the place, and you nail it. And he comes in and gives you a note to cut it or to change it because he says it's not the right laugh for that character. And mm. it, it, even though you've manipulated that beat into a place where you've got the audience right at the palm of your hands it's yeah. not the right performance and and with paul i realized depending on the night depending on the mood literally the temperature in the theater that monologue would either end in complete silence or would end in like very long applause and it was i would i had to remove i in the beginning would think if it's silent they didn't care and found as like time went on that like I would get more, uh, you know, people reaching out on Instagram or, or just more people at the stage door coming to say things. Um, when from, from nights that were dead quiet after like a, you know some twelve to fifteen minute monologue, and I I realized that an audience's response is like not a if they're silent sometimes it means they're really listening, and if they're yeah. laughing and yelling at you sometimes they're not as on board with you as mm-hmm. you think they are or they're not the right kind of on board and so 
yeah, that really like, that's, that really stuck with me. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd say those are, that comes answer. to mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Seamus, you for yeah. your uh, for your question. Thanks, Seamus. Seamus submitted that to us on Instagram, uh, fellow actor. Um, Alrighty, oh. so uh, to wrap up, we always end with um, getting to know you. Uh, so we call it getting to know you. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just gonna throw some questions at you. Some are rapid fire. Some you might have to think for a second. Um, but yeah, we'll start with coffee or tea. Tea. Stage acting or screen acting. Oh my gosh, don't make me. Uh, stage <laughs> acting. <laughs> uh, TV or film? TV. Plays or musicals? Musicals. Hero or villain? Villain. If you could be in the revival of any show, which would it be? Uh, um, uh, I'd really love, I'd really love to do Curious Incidents. I'd really want to play Christopher. Mm. Uh, what's the worst side job that you've had? Oh, catering, man. <laughs> it's the most common <laughs> answer, like, you catering know, like, or waiter. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that catering job where like they're the yeah. worst and it's elitist and it's just, <laughs> oh, don't do it. Save yourself. <laughs> I mean, make money and live, but like. Right, oof. do what you have to, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your secret talent, if you have one? Mm, secret, secret talent. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm an. I'm a, I'm a really good mathematician. I did very really? well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at at school and in college for a bit. Uh, mm. I I did really well and was doing com- competing in maths as a teenager. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you <laughs> For weren't no an, reason. <laughs> if you weren't an actor, what would you be? A uh, lawyer. Me too. And pro- and probably uh, specifically a foreign policy lawyer. Like I love. I think huh. that the work. I think the work that the UN does, like creating legislature that affects the world and, and mm. improves, like legal framework for people to exist and be benefited. Who are you know? I live in a continent where there is uh, poverty, unbelievable levels of that. And the, yeah. the, I think that the lawyers that put together the paperwork that help uh, raise the bottom floor of that mm-hmm. are some of the most noble work I think you can do. Uh, for me, it was for <laughs> prior to, to majoring in theater, it was criminal justice with the hopes of becoming an attorney. Now though, looking nice. back, it's like, I would just be a chef. Uh, <laughs> cause, Cause my dad was a chef. I grew up around food a lot. So that's just something that's like my second passion. If it wasn't the performing arts it'd be the culinary arts. Um, <laughs> uh, would you rather do a character driven drama or a 10 season hit sitcom? Character driven drama all day, all day. Um, what movie would you want to turn into a Broadway show for you to star in? Oh, oh, good question. Excellent question. Um, I, you know, and maybe I love Tarantino. I love mm. Tarantino. So I think something like Inglorious Bastards would be the weirdest, coolest <laughs> musical. It's just quirky and yeah. like 
Um, That'd be like a parody yeah. musical, I think, but a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like a really good one. Um, yeah. Where's <laughs> Boston? I don't think that would be like a gritty drama they'd turn into a musical. It'd be like a funny, like, kind of like the producers, yeah. how what they did with, uh, you know, Springtime for Hitler. Totally. Maybe not totally. quite as campy, but, you know. <laughs> Could be down that line, yeah. Yeah. Um, what TV show would you like to guest star on? Oh, right now, Sex Education. Oh, it's Netflix. Netflix, yeah, yeah. Sex Education. It's if you haven't watched it, watch. I think it's some of the best writing on TV right now. Mm. It's about these kids in in England who are just trying to figure out um, like who they are. It's just it's beautifully shot. Mm. It's a couple of seasons, and it's it's some exceptional writing. Um, who was your childhood celebrity crush? Um, oh, it's sort of a toss up between Blake Lively from, uh, Gossip Girl and mm. Kristen Crick from Smallville. Kristen Crick always has I know. a place in my heart. I know. <laughs> uh, what is your most recent binge watch? What have I most recently binge watched? Um, I just was catching up uh, with Shameless. I, it's a show I've mm. followed since it, the U.S. version, since I followed mm. since I was a kid. And uh, is there a non-U.S. Always, version? Yeah, it started as a, the original. The OG is a British version, like a London, oh. like set in. Yeah, that's actually the like the first. I think the first season is almost identical between mm. us and uk and they split off as it became about chicago and then versus i think it's like in manchester or something yeah um yeah but shameless i recently binged uh just to catch back up with it again and and honestly always the great british bake off <laughs> <laughs> i love it too. Uh, yeah your favorite accent or impression to do and can we hear it oh shit oh i do like i do like the uh like a like a Brooklyn thing. So or like a Bronx thing. I, I did for a while. I was in Colbeck's for a show that was like, it was about the Bronx and it was called the Bronx sale. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. terrifying. It was terrifying. It was terrifying because it, was, it got to a point in the Colbeck's where I had to do this accent for Robert De Niro and his ass was just sitting there just looking at me like <laughs> you fake. And I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm so fake. I'm so fake. Yeah. But I think the monologue. He saw the name like, Pierre Marie. He's like, this kid's not from. And he Bronx. was like, Italian, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was always either. It was always like, uh, it's 3 a.m. in the Bronx, New York. And I'm standing on the corner of 187th and Belmont Avenue. And this, this is my neighborhood. That was like the whole vibe of it. And it was like, yeah. so like, it was so cool, but. He's like, sir, get get out. Um, I didn't book it in case anyone is wondering. <laughs> it's a good show. Um, I, I like that Bronx accent. Style. It's good music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. What they ended up doing with it, um, mm. but I love that accent. That accent is like, it's grounded, man. It's yeah. a cool one. It's gritty. Um, mm. When were you the most starstruck, if not by De Niro? <laughs> I was in the most starstruck. Man, this is a good one. Um, you know, so Jason Mraz was a very big uh, influence on my like music love as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, I got 
he's when he was doing waitress in the city i think he was doing it with sarah Barabbas, mm-hmm. i was walking in the theater district and um, i i'm a very non-starstruck person typically <clears throat> and yet like and i never like if i see someone on the street i never reach out and and he was the first person that i've ever like on the street I saw him and he was walking to me alone and we both had our headphones and I took them out and I just, I got, I had to say to him, I was like, and I, I got really nervous. I was like, man, thank you so much for your music uh, because it influenced me as a, an artist. And I d- mm-hmm. actually don't think I'd, I'd be here without it because a big, like I was starting, starting to sing and play piano and play guitar. Like his music was some of the original gateway into mm-hmm. knowing what my voice is. And um, yeah, so I'd say Jason Mraz and he didn't like, he was so lovely, man. He was just like, oh, thank you so much. And like, I didn't spend too much time. But I remember that feeling. I was like, I've got to tell this dude who's like yeah. truly affect, affected me that I'm on the street in like, it's about cosmic in that way. I'm on the street in this town, uh, knowing why he's here and what he's doing in big part because of like the art that he's as an individual has created. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like walking past it. You know, my brain just got all like <laughs> war about it. Yeah. So. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, in 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young performer? Take care of your heart and be real with yourself is what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And thank you so much. Uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to give you a follow? Yeah. Hit me up on Instagram. Instagram is the one I'm most active on these days. It's my name with an underscore uh, between it. Um, I just started doing the TikTok thing. I'm like doing just singing on there because it's uh, a place to put songs and people are really, people are really funny on TikTok. So yeah. I've done that too. And it's, it's the same thing on TikTok, but hit me up on Instagram and my name with an underscore and yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thank you, Pierre, so much for coming on the show and you all can follow Pierre at Pierre underscore Murray. That's Marie spelled M-A-R-A-I-S. And you can follow us on Instagram at Actors with Issues. A big thank you to our sponsor, Anchor, for supporting the show. Head over to anchor.fm to get started on your very own podcast, 100% free. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. And you can catch new episodes every Friday on all podcasting platforms. I'm Juan Yala, and we'll see you all next week. Yeah.